Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Sometimes you just have to do it. That mad idea that has lurked at the corner of your mind and makes no sense, but somewhere deep inside it calls out to you and you throw pragmatism and caution aside and you book that cruise and you buy those concert tickets and you purchase that painting and you order that sofa. For the gas bill will always be there to be paid. There will always be a reason not to do that thing. But you do it. You've always wanted to see the Northern Lights? Book it. You wanted to see the Beach Boys live? Go there. You wanted to go to the Open Golf at St Andrews? Hang the expense. Just do it. It's what calls to us from within. And it's even more compelling when you're doing something for someone you love, to demonstrate that love as an earnest of the fondness and affection and appreciation in which you hold them. Some act you do that takes the time to say, I love you, I value you, and I will not let that love go undeclared I will not let it be suffocated by the everyday, the down-to-earth, the practical, the mundane reasonableness of common sense. You've always wanted to go to Wimbledon? I'll get you there. You've always longed to visit Venice? I'll make it happen. You love a surprise bunch of flowers? Watch that on the table. You love the writer Kate Atkinson? Well, she's at the Frankfurt Book Festival next month, and there are your tickets. And I throw this one out. You've always wanted to see Lionel Messi f- play for Barcelona. Happy birthday, darling. That's all I'm saying. We might be eating cheese and toast for the next fortnight, but it's worth it just to see that look of surprise and delight and thankfulness on someone's face. I wonder if she ever regretted it. The woman with her costly jar of perfume. If she felt next morning a bit silly that she'd maybe squandered the family heirloom on a crazy illogical rush of emotion. I doubt she regretted it. This beautiful haunting story is placed between two ugly elements in the drama that builds us towards Good Friday. And we can sense the tension tightening for Christ. The grim spectre of imminent betrayal, torture and death, so much that is ugly up ahead. The vicious wickedness of which men are capable, so much pain and blood and horror, just around the corner, a few days away, coming for sure. These things will happen, happen to him, and he knows it, he knows it. So what 
a moment of soul-refreshing relief when Mary comes with her soothing ointment and pours it over his forehead and his feet and swaps his senses with blessed coolness. It's refreshment and it's love. Like a tiny flower pushing its way through the concrete of the abattoir. This beautiful thing is done to remind him that there is devotion and there is understanding and there is love for him. She came in love, her ointment for an offering, to soothe the brow of Jesus like a prayer. The people stared, they could not grasp the meaning, a gift she made to show her Lord she cared. The ointment ran across his forehead, the story written for the church to share. A recent jobs survey revealed that, perhaps surprisingly, that hairdressers were the happiest people in their work, followed perhaps equally surprisingly by clergy. Hairdressers, clergy. And apparently the survey also revealed that only 7% of accountants were happy in their work. When I told an accountant friend of mine this interesting statistic, he reckoned the 7% must have been lying. (laughs) Accountants, like the poor, are always with us. And in the real world, the choice has often to be made between being a dreamer or a hard-nosed realist, a person of vision, or what is rather unkindly called a bean-counter, one of those important people who does the sums and determines what the boundaries of what is sensible and practical are going to be, encouraging us, encouraging us to keep our feet firmly on the ground. And no harm to them, my bank manager and yours will assure us that we all need a bit of realism But without the vision, those extravagant moments of devotion, the passion that overthrows the cramping confines of common sense and dares us to enter the world of faith and love, without that spirit, there would be no great works of religious art. No fine churches, no inspiring stories of how the impossible became possible in the power of God, through the faith of the church. There would be no sacrifices if everything were safe and controlled and limited. Because true expressions of love and commitment are not about calculation, but about passion. Her love was strong. The price, it mattered nothing. It was the best, the best that she could bring. Hard hearts complained and called it money wasted. But she had come to crown her master king and he was pleased. His majesty acknowledged. His heart was gladdened by this gentle thing. I came across a book called Being Martha Being Mary in a Martha Church. Being Mary in a Martha Church. The contrast clear and sharp between the hard note of practicality and being sensible and getting stuff done that was Martha, scuttling about, 
busy, busy, busy. And the dreamy-eyed contentment of Mary resting in the presence, simply being with Jesus. Now, if we were all like Mary all the time, no one would get their dinner. And if we were all like Martha all the time, something precious would be lost. The come on, let's be sensible about this down-to-earth approach of the disciples contrasts powerfully with the heady fragrance of the perfume that hangs over this story. As it dares the church today not to count the cost, not to set the limits on love. As Loyola said, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labour and not to ask for any reward, save that of knowing that we do thy will. And if that all sounds a bit naive and impracticable, then maybe if we want to be men and women of faith, we need to take account of the route that takes us to the yet God written large in Scripture, that fills the pages of the Bible, without which our religion is robbed of its power and its possibilities. There's this problem, or there's that challenge, or there's this hurdle, or there's that disincentive, and our hands are empty and our knees are shaking, yet God is in this. And now the equation is different. Changed beyond recognition because we've remembered that he is with us and this unbreachable wall of reasons not to is undermined and overwhelmed by the yet God is with us. There are a hundred reasons for the woman not to pour out her expensive perfume yet here he is and this is for him. I love the fact that we are revisiting this story, this incident about nothing from a woman from nowhere in a situation so obscure, and yet today here and in churches small and large across the world, it is recalled and honoured someone doing something beautiful for God and not stopping to weigh up the cost, measure the sacrifice involved, calculate the degree of inconvenience in doing this just out of love. The perfume scent soon filled the room with sweetness. The world shall hear of this fine thing she's done. The crowd just smiled. As if time would remember the acts of those who'd soon be dead and gone. Two thousand years have passed. And here together we honour Mary's love in word and song. When he wrote the powerful biography of that remarkable woman, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, the journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, that hard-nosed cynic, was so touched by her life and her work, he called the book Something Beautiful for God. Something Beautiful for God. 
Mary was doing something beautiful for God and, and that, that was enough. That was the whole story. And that's an invitation that comes to us all to think today, tomorrow. Can we do something beautiful for God? The world is waiting. What will it be that we do? Something beautiful for God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.